Hi, everyone, and welcome to Frazzis Capital Podcast. My name is Michael Frazzis, and this is going to be a slightly different episode. It's just going to be me, for better or worse. Uh, but I couldn't help but record some thoughts on the last week. So it's January 30th of January 2021 now. And the last week or so was one of the funniest weeks in finance I can simply remember. I won't go into kind of blow by blow because those of you who are interested in this kind of thing already know that there was a huge rally in something uh, in a stock called GameStop um, that has created and lost, you know, fortunes. You know, this this was this was one of the I think a, a really pivotal moment in finance. I think it's 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 really changed you know a number of things. It might even change the market structure going forward. Now, what my my take on what actually happened is there are basically two squeezes. The first one was a short squeeze. So more than 100% of this stock game stock was sold short. Um, that means as it rises, uh, losses grow effectively exponentially. Um, and if you're in this position, if you're short a stock, you basically have to hold. If it doubles, um, you lose money. It could double again, which happened in this case, could double again. Um, it can easily lose billions or tens of billions of dollars on aggregate. There was a fund that started with $12 billion, that lost $4 billion, was then bailed out by, I think, $2.5 billion from two of the... Uh, most highly regarded people in finance, um, Ken Griffin at Citadel and Stephen Cohen, and that was gone 24 hours later because the stock continued to rise. Um, and nobody sheds a tear for, for fund managers. And in this particular case, um, we should definitely not shed a tear. I mean, Steve Cohen's firm, this is the guy that got you know sued. He had to change his name from SAC to, to 0.72, paid a huge fine to the SEC. He's been caught insider trading many times, never admitted guilt. The, the times that we know often, you know, led to kind of $700, $800 million swings. You know, a $150 million profit became a $600, sorry, $150 million loss became a $600 million profit. You know, those kinds of swings in one single inside trade. And he's been caught, or his traders have been caught many times. Uh, he's just used, you know, plausible deniability and the fact that calls weren't recorded to just say that, you know, the phone calls he got at the time that made him change positions were not actually relevant to the stock. Um, which does not, which is ob- obviously nonsense. Um, the other one is Citadel. So there's a firm, Robin Hood, which has has garnered a huge following by basically saying there's free trades. And what they do is they sell those trades that that order flow uh, to Citadel for the specific purpose of Citadel front running those trades. So all the money that Citadel makes out of that lucrative business, they make at the expense of Robin Hood users. Now Robin Hood's tried to market themselves as kind of for the people, by the people. Uh, democratizing finance, but they're getting paid by one of the sharpest um, hedge funds on the planet, Citadel. And the payment, the way Citadel's making money is at the expense of their users. Uh, now, Robin Hood could have been a hero here because this was like often called the Robin Hood crowd. Like now it's called the Reddit crowd. This, this whole thing happened. It was like a hive mind of Reddit um, where millions of people signed up to, to chat boards and, and, and all acted in concert. Um, but it could have been a Robin Hood crowd. Now, what happened last week is that Robin Hood said they'd no longer allow people to buy uh, GameStop and some of the other stocks, um, which effectively mean that day the markets went down. Now, it gets worse. There are rumors that Citadel actually had that information beforehand, um, that Citadel made Robin Hood um, make that move and stop people buying. Uh, and then knowing that that was coming, then increased their shorts. Um, and the market, all these, it wasn't just GameStop, it's also things like AMC, which is cinemas, um, and a couple of other heavily shorted names, um, 
Robinhood stopped the buying of those, they collapsed. There was probably a moment of triumph in Citadel as their, as their shorts finally started to make money. And then the outcry was enormous. You know, that has probably done Robinhood in as a business uh, because people were saying, this is ridiculous. You were supposed to be for us. This is market manipulation. And it is. You know, people could argue the Reddit stuff where they're kind of effectively acting in concert is a level of market manipulation. Um, I'm not sure who'd go after or, or, or what that even means. Uh, but I would say that negotiating with a broker to stop buy orders in particular stocks is much closer to market manipulation, manipulation uh, in my opinion. And it's certainly got the attention of politicians who are calling for investigations in the United States. Um, and this is, this is a red hot political issue because this became a global meme. You know, the entire attention of the, of the, of the financial world and many people outside of finance were looking at these stocks and looking at the behavior of the regulators and politicians being politicians on both sides um, will most certainly try, try to make hay out of the situation. Now, in terms of consequences, I think there's quite a few things. So in the days last week where there were huge factor moves, so the market might have moved 1%, 2%, but under the surface, you know, a certain set of stocks went up a lot and a certain set of stocks went down a lot. And rumor has it, obviously, the hedge funds were on the, on the, on the, on the wrong side of this um, because they all use exactly the same approach. I mean, they all kind of think of themselves as going against the grain and being independent but like, you, you, they all use exactly the same process and end up in exactly the same trades. Um, and in this case, none of them would have been on the side of the Redditors, they're on the other side, shorting these businesses, uh, effectively hoping they would fail. Um, and there's, there's rumors that, that many long short funds are down 20 or 30%. You know, these are the people that, the reason for that is that the trade that they're all doing is let's be long these stocks and let's be short industries like, I don't know, in-store gaming, in-store game retail. Um, like GameStop or Cinemas, the structurally declining ones. Um, but of course, in this case, that has proved to be the losing trade. And I think it's quite important. I mean, these 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 people were, these are huge firms. You know, they've really been commanding. They have a lot of power on the street. They have a lot of, um, they attract a lot of talent. But really, they, they do not add anything. A longshore manager does not really add anything kind of to the world. These are guys, I, I know people in these firms, and they'll be the first to admit, they trade quarterlies. So I'll sit down with the CEO before quarterly result or after, maybe after it's been after the report, but before the call, have a chat. They'll probe them. They'll get as much information as they can. And then they'll, they'll generally have an idea of whether the quarter is going to be good or bad. Um, there's a huge amount of pressure on them to make money every single quarter. We're kind of long-term investors. So we don't even think like that. You know, when, when, we, when we, we look at the consumer, we don't know what the consumer's doing. You know, I find management meetings almost, almost a waste of time. Sometimes they're helpful. Uh, but if I want the pitch, I can get the pitch. I already know what the company's going to say. They're going to say everything's great. Um, we just want to get those long-term 5 to 10x swings. So what happens in the quarter is not relevant for us. Um, but the idea of, of management access is deeply ingrained in the industry. And so I get it a lot because we'll go see go go raise money. And people go, what's your access like? And it's an incredible marketing tool because funds go around and they say, we have amazing access. Uh, I, I spoke with the CEO of BHP yesterday. I spoke with the CEO of this tiny company and nobody understands what they're doing. And it's important to know when, pe when people talk about access, break down what, what do they mean by that? What do you mean by you have management access? What they're really saying is we have management access and that gives us an edge. But how can that give you an edge if it's all public information? How can it? If you're getting any benefit from, from, from staring somebody in, in the eyes and then probing them with questions for an hour about the next three months or the previous three months, how can that be helpful to you 
unless they're giving some level of inside information. Now, these things are incredibly hard to prove, incredibly hard to pin down. Um, pe- it's all color that people talk about. They'll use euphemisms like that. Um, but entire industries of long, short funds um, depend on this kind of thing. And allocators often ask, maybe this is why I've got such a, <laughs> such a bugbear, because I feel like people have been marking down because we actually do have pretty good access, surprisingly. I mean, most people will speak to a fund. Um, certainly, certainly kind of a VP of IRR, somebody who will report to a CEO. Um, but we constantly get probed on this, and it's, it's not helpful. You know, that is not how we found so many five times opportunities. That is not how we've outperformed. We've outperformed by focusing on the customer, on the end user, and finding the stuff that people really like, um, which is far more powerful in our view, far better for returns, certainly better for returns, um, than thinking you have some level of information uh, and then often getting a little bit of an edge because, you know, you thought you, you now know that the quarter is slightly better than what people are thinking. Or the, the CEO suggested maybe you write down your numbers a bit. Um, that's kind of a, it's, it's not really, I think most people listening to this will be in Australia. Uh, I'm sure there is an, an, an element of this in Australia, uh, but it's really, it's really um, an overseas thing where it seems to be much more prevalent, where you have these long, short funds that give a lot of people, you know, balance sheet. Um, and then insist that they demand that they perform quarter on quarter. That's the incentive structure that creates this. It creates such an urgency on the traders to find out what's happening because they can't they, they can't do the long term trades that we do um, just because of the way it's structured. So how does this end? I mean, there, there's one sad aspect of this whole thing, and that's that that squeezes only end in 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 one way. Um, Actually, remember to talk about the two squeezes. So there was a short selling squeeze that there was hundred percent short interest, and this is this is this is generally well understood. Um, certainly, if you ever shorted stocks in the in the distant past, I have so I've been in these situations. Um, it's very painful if you're in them. Uh, you have very few good options. Uh, generally, you try and ride it out, which in this case has destroyed at least one firm and will take many other firms to the brink um, of these long short hedge funds. The other thing that happened is a gamma squeeze in the options market. So if you're confident stock's going to go up, if you buy options 100, 200, 300% above the stock price, they trade for nothing. So you can put down 50 grand and get tens of millions of dollars of exposure. Now, as the stock rises, um, the people who sold you those options have to buy the stock. Uh, so what's also happening in these cases, and it's also happening uh, in other parts of the market, is the Reddit crowd, like the hive mind of Reddit, is like going, why don't we buy these? These options are really cheap if you think the stock's going to double. Now, keep in mind that our, our, our portfolio companies organic growth is is often above 100%. So it's not crazy to say something's going to double in a year. It's certainly not crazy to say it's going to double in two years. Those kind of options for high-growth tech stocks, uh, which generally the fund managers are short and the Reddit crowd is long, um, are extremely cheap. And so people are buying these in huge numbers, huge notional values. And in this case, uh, there are people who are posting their, their trades you know, in, in real time. So as they're buying these, they're telling everybody uh, before the spike um, have made huge returns. And what happened and what's still happening is that, is that, you know, there's a combination of a short squeeze and the option gamma squeeze. And also it's just a general kind of, uh, what's the right word? Bullish mania where it's almost like, um, it's almost like it reminds me a lot of, uh, of early days of, of Bitcoin where it just became, everybody just wanted a little bit. Like everybody seems to want a piece of this GameStop action. For the record, we're neither long nor short, which is why it's been so entertaining because you can just sit on the sideline and just watch it all play out. But the sad thing is, is like short squeezes, what happens is everybody buys it because they know there's somebody who's, 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 who's going to have to fold. When they do, 
um, often that's the top, then what happens? Then there's nobody left to buy. Then the, sh- then the share price crashes. So that's probably what's going to happen in the next few days, next few weeks. Um, but I don't think it's over. There's a website. I mean, the use of language, the way this has changed the way people think and talk about finance, I don't think can be underestimated. Like there's not a single person in finance, in markets, that is not deeply rethinking um, certain things. Uh, some of these long-short funds, for example, will never be the same. And they'll certainly never be able to use their ridiculous pitch of, uh, of, 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 of managing risk well. Because the, the reality is, is, is they have not showered themselves with glory over the last few years. Um, you know, people seem to think that we're a hyper-risky fund and we do take risk. I mean, we invest in companies doing incredible things, uh, but in many cases, they're early on in their journey. You know, and we don't know what, we, we have no idea. We have as good an idea what happens next year as anybody else. Um, but weirdly, that simple, long strategy is dramatically outperformed when things got tough. So the worse things got, the more markets moved around, the more we just sat there, the more other people started making mistakes. Um, in the last few years, there's very few funds that didn't get into serious trouble. Um, and we had our moments, sure, the lows, you know, we were, we were under a lot of pressure. Um, but we weren't under pressure to do anything because we gained this so many times in our head. What are we going to do? What are we going to do for the next 10 market crashes? You know, in some market crashes, yeah, sure, you should sell when things drop 20%. Cause it might drop another 20% and you might be smart enough to get back in. But you cannot play that 10 times in a row. 10 times in a row or 20 times in a row, the optimal strategy is just to sit there. Um, and that's kind of what we did. So to go back to what I was trying to say, uh, the sad thing is, is there will probably be a collapse in these prices at some point. Um, but there's a website that's kind of interesting. Is the squeeze squoze? And again, it's I can't describe how delightful the use of language and memes has been over the last couple of weeks. Um, is the squeeze squoze? Basically saying, is it over or is there more to come? Uh, and by those numbers, the short interest is still over 100%. And just using some kind of like, I don't know, my experience in markets, not that it's worth anything in the short term, but my what, what experience I do have is that that should have really killed this trade. Sorry, the, the actions by Robin Hood to close down buys, that should have killed this trade. That should have ended it, and it didn't. I think the buying power here is much stronger than people think, um, and the squeeze is not squoze either. There's still 100% short interest. Um, there's probably more pain to come. Now, how does this, this affect things uh, more broadly? I mean, this is clearly... There's some element of, you know, stimulus. I mean, we get asked all the time when I think about timing. We're hyper-optimistic on every company in our portfolio. That is why we own them. We think they'll all do incredible things over the next six months, 12 months, five years. And if they fall and it doesn't work out, we'll quickly trade one of our 40, 50 stocks for something else. That's kind of our approach. So I always think the timing is good. But think about where we are at the moment. We have a clear recovery of vaccines being rolled out. The third wave is coming. Third wave has peaked and is coming down dramatically day by day in the U.S. and the United Kingdom. There's vaccines being rolled out globally, and they're stimulating. And the central bank is pumping 120 billion a month in uh, in the United States. And Biden is doing a two trillion dollar stimulus into a recovery. There is enormous monetary and fiscal uh, stimulus that is hyper bullish, in my opinion. And I'm <laughs> could easily be wrong here. In my opinion, that's an extremely positive backdrop. Um, but it's 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 in a weird way. I've got I've got the luxury of also just saying, look, where we know our strategy. You know, we know that the optimal strategy of the next thirty years is to buy these amazing hyper growth companies that are really really doing something special for the end users. Um, and we saw I, bumped, I saw another company today that was growing at uh, and this is estimates well over one hundred percent, trading at like one point six times sales. 
and this is a large company, um, like billions of dollars of revenue. There's still these opportunities, and I feel like the more that I found that with us, the more that we're kind of adding a few new positions and, and and letting some other ones come down a little bit, the more that we're doing that, it's making a lot a lot easier for us to kind of outperform in some of these moments because our book is a mix of a mix of you know early stage ideas, mid stage ideas, and really long term compounders, um, and that's that's really helped us in the last few months. Uh, so January was pretty good for us. Um, on those big rotations didn't really hit us. I think on the big down day, we lost a little bit more than the market, but we also rebounded a lot harder. Uh, there was no crazy factor things. It's funny, I was having a um, several, one of several email exchanges over the last year with a, with a long shot manager in Australia. And he's telling me, he, he was effectively long, short, sorry, short the things that I was long. You know, either, I don't know, I have no insight into his book. Uh, maybe it's certain times he was, certain times he wasn't. Uh, certainly emotionally short. Um, you know, things like Carvana, Afterpay, Tesla, the best performing stocks in the market. So he was on the other side of that. And he, he was having to go and say, I'd never raise any money if I was structurally buying things that were heavily shorted. And then that ended up being the one single factor that performed best recently. Now, I, I, I didn't predict that. I mean, I think I love it when there's short interest. Oh, there's another dynamic of short interest you have to remember. Uh, every If you sell a, a share short, you have to buy it back. So there's no net future buying or there's no no net buying or selling in that process um but if you buy a heavily shorted stock there's net buying in the future think about that if you buy a stock that's got 70 percent short interest which you've done more than once um at some point those shorts gonna have to buy back i love it because i know that we don't need a catalyst if the thing performs um we will do extremely well so we've got a very small position in a company called fubo which is like um, online sports streaming. And some of my friends in the industry give me a hard time because the numbers look atrocious. But we see there's a big opportunity and it's growing at about 70% and they're raising prices. So margins are increasing and they're growing. And it kind of just, it, it, it passes the logic test. Like having a, a, a sports-focused streaming thing um, is certainly sensible. I don't think that's, that's a crazy, crazy idea at all. Uh, in fact, I'm surprised it hasn't been done better sooner. Um, but... The company is growing and raising prices now. If they continue to do that, the shorts are going to have to buy back. We won't need a catalyst that, that the stock will perform. Um, if it doesn't, well, it's a very small position for us. Uh, you know, the downside the downside is, is negligible indeed. Um, but having those kinds of things actually really helped us over the last week because they're beneficiary of that like factor movement. Now, please don't go out and rush and buy Fubo. Uh, every stock that we mentioned, firstly, it's not advice. I'm just doing it for information purposes. But more importantly, we have a 50-stock portfolio. So we have, if I talk about something that's really interesting, it's interesting as a 1%, 2% of the 50-stock portfolio generally. Generally, that's what I mean. Um, and, and I think having the more di- di- diverse, um, what's sorry, diversified portfolio has really enabled us to take some risks um, on very fast-growing companies Uh that are very early on. It's still have question marks about over them. And basically I'd say they've all paid off. So if there was a company that we didn't quite, we didn't quite, it wasn't, what's the right word? We see it. It makes sense. We don't feel it. It's not like Tesla, which we understood, or Afterpay, which we deeply understood why people were using it because we were using it. If there's a company that's adding users really fast and where it really matters, revenue dollars are flowing. One thing we've learned is generally that is the sign that it's working. And that's more important than your opinion. It's more important than our opinion. Um, and we're constantly thinking, you know, it's so easy to talk about stocks and talk about whether it's working or not. Um, 
what you think about it, what's your opinion, how do you think it fits in the industry, what's competitive. It's so easy to get, you can spend like a lifetime discussing stocks in that, in that regard. But what's interesting for us is what are people spending money on? You know, what are they really uh, going for? That's kind of like wh- wh- when, when it comes to the wallet, what are they actually putting their money in? Um, and that's kind of our focus. And, and that's been a really helpful, uh, I guess, guidestone to, to the last, I guess, five years. One final point, um, the thing that's going on now with tech is not a one-off. It's actually part of a multi-decade trend. Now, there are a lot of people in the industry that kind of made their name uh, in 2000 and then 2007, uh, largely by avoiding the tech industry. So the same way there's kind of rotations going on now, but the markets don't move too much, um, but certain sectors do extraordinarily well and certain sectors sectors do extraordinarily poorly. An example that was in, 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 in 2000, 2000, 2001, I guess, that, that two-year period. A lot of people made their names then. A lot of value investors made their names. If you look at the famous fund managers in Australia. A lot of them did their performance then. Um, and a lot of allocators, you know, were the right age, were kind of kind of young, like very formative experience um, during those periods. And in our view, they took the wrong lesson. They took the lesson being that, you know, thank God we missed that. Let's never get caught up in a tech bust again. Um, this is different. Now, you know, the last, it's not different now. Over the last 20 years, there are extraordinary opportunities, the best investment opportunities ever in terms of dollar value created, um, whether it was social media, search, uh, software, you know, renewable energy. These are huge sectors. This is where the returns were. And then allocators and, and, and certain managers were kind of congratulating themselves on not investing in the Afterpays, the Teslas, the Shopify's, uh, you know, the, the, the the top performing stocks in the market, the most forward-looking companies kind of congratulated themselves because they didn't want to get caught up in a bubble. Um, and it's only now that that performance is underperformance is really catching up and people are having, you know, negative, like have been underperforming since inception. It's really the wrong thing to take. So last year, your performance depended on, did you just stay invested? And then did you, did you invest in tech? That was also the case over the last 20 years, really. You know, it's uh, your performance as a large cap manager depend entirely on 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 your, your exposure to things like Google, Facebook, Amazon, um, and you know most people missed that. Most people really missed that. It was the retail Reddit crowd, or now it's the Reddit crowd. It used to be the retail crowd that really caught those moves. Um, I'd say that in general, over the last five ten years, it's been the retail people that have played it much smarter. They were net buyers in in March. They're now holding the most um, aggressive hedge funds in the world hostage, and they they were right on all those all those consumer stocks. Um, it's a really interesting, interesting dynamic in markets, um, but it's here to stay. There will be periods where value outperforms, and the old school kind of 1800, 1900s industries do well. But over the f- next 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it'll be the new ones. It'll be the software, the tech. That is where all the growth is going to go. That is also where the capital will go. You know, I'm kind of in my early 30s. Most of the allocators, most people my age in the allocation industry, kind of mid-level executives. They're doing a lot of work. Um, they're probably 10 years plus into their careers, but they're not really making those big allocation decisions. In 5, 10, certainly 15 years, they will. There will be a change in the guard. And I can guarantee you that my generation, we want to live green. We want to live in a sustainable way. We, we want to invest in cool stuff. You know, we want space companies to succeed. We don't want gaming companies to go under. You know, we want to see, we're, we're, we're positive, we're optimistic, and, and we like the future and we want it to come and we want it to be, you know, that gleaming, you know, that gleaming, you know, future that we all, we all want, you know, we want it to be technologically advanced. Um, 
And I think allocation decisions are going to reflect that. Not now, but I think they will. And I think this underperformance of, of people investing in these centuries-old industries that are de- in structural declines uh, is likely to continue. Um, so there's some two cents on that. Uh, I might wrap up there. Let me know if you thought that was interesting. If you think I'm way off the mark, as I'm sure some of you will, uh, feel free to send me an email, but please keep it polite. And let me know if you like this format, if you're happy for me to kind of jabber away like this. I think it's a lot easier for me than, than finding guests because it that, that takes a lot of time and organization. Um, and sometimes, you know, events are moving so fast. It's quite nice to kind of put uh, some thoughts down. Um, hope you enjoy the weekend.